Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan, read the paper on, uh, on, I don't even know what day it is. It's like Wednesday. Yeah, it's March like 22nd. We're really off schedule. March 22nd. You can blame it on the grandchildren. Um, <laughs> well. I'm blaming it on the grandchildren. We've been, well, no, actually, you got, you were sick, so we couldn't do it. I'm still you blaming it on the grandchildren. Under the weather. Yeah, I got, and how did I get sick? From the grandchildren. Thanks. Okay. So there you have it. Yeah. But anyway, it's been uh, the usual busy week. Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, started off with a birthday celebration for Mark Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, all of us March babies went out for dinner together and you came along. <laughs> Thank you. It was me, Javier, and March. Yeah. March, Mark. Mark, yeah. And... Uh, it was good to be able to see them. It's funny. We're all so busy. We don't get a chance to sit around and really talk. Mm-hmm. It's always like, bop, 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 So that was fun. Mm-hmm. Fun to take a moment. Anyway, um, what else is going on? We Nothing. went to the theater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like a million years ago. We were in New York uh, last week. Uh, we saw the Encores production of Dear World. Uh, and and the production, you know, is over by now. Right. So just, we, we can't advise you on whether to see and it. And we wouldn't advise you to go see it, no, to we wouldn't. be honest. We'll get to that. But um, but again, the reminder is Encore is those three productions a year of plays that were put on a long time ago and aren't at the level that you'd expect a full-scale revival. But they, the thought is, in Encore's view, that they're worth restaging even on a somewhat minimalistic basis, so people can see what it was. Well, the the idea is that there 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 are these hidden gems. That too. Okay. In, that may that if they're if they're gems that are going to Broadway, but they're not gems. Hidden. What's what's something no, short there of are gems? Lots of things that won't go to Broadway that are still and they still resonate. Hidden value. In a lot of ways. So, yeah, there are a lot yeah. of old shows that are worth seeing. Honestly. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes they're worth worth being seen by people who are into it. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They're not going to. Create they're not going to carry you. enough Pe- people, uh, people commerce. Aren't going to come from Ohio <laughs> to, to see the film, right, to see right. The play. Um, so, but this was not one. Well, you're getting to the bottom line here, which, uh, but you might as well get into it. Why mess around? Why mess around? We're going to belabor it. Yeah. Okay. So, well, well, let me at least set the stage. What it is? It, it, oh, it's no. a story based on the Mad Woman of Shiloh, which is as you or Shiloh. Which is it? Shio? You you should say Shio, but actually I saw when you Google it, um, it comes up also as the Mad Woman of Shiloh. Yeah, so there you go. Um, no, no, S-H-I-L-O. S-H-I-L-O. Yeah, yeah, sure, I know. Completely that's that's the way we do it at the Passover. We call it the Mad Woman of Shiloh. But my, my point is... Of Shalom? Shalom. The story is this woman who's a mad woman, and, uh, and she's a little out of it. She lives in Paris, and she has some friends who are similarly inclined. And uh, Paris apparently is threatened by some uh, corporate types, some corporate heavyweights who plans to drill under Paris for valuable oil and destroy the city. I, know, I, I feel silly describing the plot. Yeah, but it's you're making it sound like uh, you're reporting on the news. Mm, right. It, it's a poetic satire. Yeah, okay. Okay. Setting up a situation where you know a ragtag group of uh, characters yeah, Parisian octogenarians right. um, no it's not just octogenarians it's it's all kinds of um, 
different people. Yeah. Okay, different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, kind of band together yeah. to fight the forces of evil Maybe. in the world who in this play are personified by um, a corporate boss, Yes, but we're, we're, we're doing it a disservice by talking about the plot, which is the weakest thing in it. It is, as, as one reviewer described uh, of the play, the plot is, quote, batshit crazy. So, end of quote. It's just little guys against big guys. Now, I know I can describe it that way, too, but, you know, so are, you know, uh, Mighty but Mouse but episodes. Goofy, okay, a it's lot a, of stories come down yeah, to goofy. the little it, guy it, against the big guy. I understand. But this is a completely, they are fantastical right, let, characters. Let me get into this, okay? It's awful. The play was awful. It was awful. It was bizarrely bad. It was. I can't say it's the worst thing I've ever seen because my memory's not strong enough to justify that. But it's in the bottom 3%. What, what did you think? Yes, it was awful. Uh, I, it's not because of the plot per se. Yeah. Because we, you know, older musicals only barely had a plot. This is yeah. not that old. It's from 64. 69. I've got 69 64. here. No. Well, the, then they made a the mistake in the time. The film was 69. Uh, I don't think so. But anyway, that doesn't mean it was in the 60s. Um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, you, know, yeah, you don't have to show your. Um, the point is, yeah. uh, plenty of musicals don't have a decent plot. We I agree. Don't, I agree. You know, we're not demanding a good plot, a good no, story that's necessarily. True. That's true. But we do demand decent music. Yeah. And I was sitting there. And we have seats way up high yeah. in the city center. And I was sitting there and the you know, the first few songs went by and I was just stunned. Right. I was like breathless with disappointment. Right. It was not Well the overture And this is this is written by Jerry Herman. The overture gave it away. The overture they played the overture, he said, Really? <laughs> We're gonna hear this? I, you know, not that Hello Dolly is one of my favorites. But there are great tunes. Well, the story is, of course, that he had three shows on Broadway at the same time. Hello, Dolly, Mame, and then this, Dear World. And, uh, of course, he's very celebrated for La Casa Falls. came later. So Jerry Herman is very famous for melodies. And this song that stirs you up, put on your Sunday clothes. This was brutal. This was brutal. We need a little Christmas. Yeah. And this was just... And, and of course, on, on top of the, the disappointment of seeing a Jerry Herman show that was so bad, was that uh, it starred Donna Murphy. Now, Donna Murphy, there's, nobody's a greater admirer of Donna Murphy than I am. I think she's fantastic. She's been in a lot of shows. And as it happens, a lot of very good work is done by Donna Murphy on the Encore stage at City Center. She is considered the leading light for Encore. She's done some great things there. She's fantastic. And she's the lead in this, and she can't save it. She can't save it. It's awful. In fact, her interpretation of the main character was, in my mind, a total wrong turn. Right. Well, Uh, and and it just... uh, Desperate times lead to desperate measures. Oh, my God. And yet, uh, we have to say that the crowd seemed to respond. I don't understand. At least some part of the crowd. It was packed. People were dying to see this. I don't know why. Because Donna Murphy. And um, the review in the Times wasn't that bad. I, I couldn't believe the guy watched the show. Yeah. I mean... Uh, One of those situations where yeah. you, you couldn't believe we all saw the same thing. Yeah, well, look, they want to give the encores a break because they just rehearsed for a week and put on the show 
Uh, Plus, Donna Murphy was sick. She got to rehearse. She, yeah, she had COVID, and every, you know, okay, oh, and that's all cool. I, 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 I give encores a break but too. We were, we were excited. There was in, even an article about the uh, uh, conductor. Yeah, well, I, I figured that out actually. Okay, Mary Mitchell Campbell, she's the new conductor of encores, and they say that she's been dying to get going, and she had plans to bring a couple shows uh, to encores, not this one really. Uh, the two shows she wanted to bring were Love Life, which I guess will come on at some point, and City of Angels, which I guess will some come on at some point. But she's doing this, and she was expressing enthusiasm about this. And here's here's the little giveaway in this. I read this article, and it said that there were many, you know, different orchestrations, which is not uncommon. It's hard to get the original orchestrations often, and many scripts. And I was like, many scripts. And I went back and did some research. And there are many scripts because the show was a flop and they kept rewriting the show right. to putting on in different places. And they said, well, how did you decide what you were putting on? And they said, we picked uh, a version which took greatest advantage of our full orchestra. We have a 25-piece orchestra. That's what we're about. Okay, I will tell you right now, and that was not the one associated with the best script. That was the one associated with the worst script. And that was a problem because the script was terrible. Daniel, again, we didn't need the script. Okay, I, I look. We, Who cares about the script? Well, we definitely have seen. I agree with you hundred percent. Some of the older shows, in particular, don't make sense, and uh, but they're still goofy and funny and uh, delightful, and and, and, and the music carries you away. That carries you away. Oh, one or several tears shows. To your eyes. I can bring. I can name. A no, show. don't do it. Don't no. worry me. I mean, no, stuff no, that didn't no, make don't, any sense. Don't, don't start. Okay. okay, but you can't. But there was nothing in here. And actually, what irked me about the Times Review, they said, you know, they're talking about there were these funny moments. Just because something's goofy doesn't make it funny. There was nothing in the show that was funny. No. It was just everything landed like a lead balloon. <laughs> have I been clear enough on this? I yeah. think I have been clear so on this. So it was rough. But uh, fortunately, it was uh, and it, warm seen, weather when we went. It was. The weather was so very nice. So it was nice. not like we had the weather travel was difficulties. Excellent. And excellent we had a weather. nice little... Uh, where we dinner, dinner at a little ramen place? Yeah, in the city, just like normal urban city people. Just right? popped into the ramen. Popped place. into the ramen place and uh, enjoyed our ramen. Yes, I didn't have ramen. I enjoyed the ramen. Yeah, uh, look, this idea—it's not so hard. No one's proven this better than encores. And you can take these shows that you know aren't super headline shows and put them on thirty years later. Uh, and you can succeed. They're still very appealing. Encores has proven that. We've loved the Encore series. This was a disaster. And the one, the two we saw, saw last year, or one we saw last year was a disaster. So anyway, enough about Encores. Tough times. You know, but if you're going to do something like this, there will be hits and misses. Yeah, I would say, I looked at right. the Time Magazine so, review. The Time Magazine review of... Time uh, Magazine? In 1969. You remember Time Magazine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't look to it for reviews. They called the songs in Dear, Dear World, open quote, a total zero. Yeah, you, you just, we were talking about this in the car on the way back, and yeah. we were thinking, you know, he must have... Emptied the trunk. Just, yeah, just had a bunch of songs sitting around, and he threw them together. Right, songs that never made it, and they said, can you weave this into a show? Because nobody would write these songs on purpose. Yeah, well, he brought them on purpose, but... Not the good purpose. All right, so let's let's get back to what we've really been working on. There was an article about being <laughs> a grandfather. The Times, of course, is taking the lead in explaining what it is to be a grandfather. 
the, the article called Raising a Generation of Cool Grandpas, in which they start the article by quoting people who have reached the early 60s and they are now realized they were going to be grandparents. And these grandfathers, of course, had no clue as to how they were going to approach the situation, so they do what any grandfather would do under the, under the situation, under the circumstances. They get a script from chatbot. Well, well no, they didn't get, not exactly. But they do go to the World Wide Web. They go to Google and they look up how do you grandparent because God only knows how you do it until you looked it up on the web. And they find, lo and behold, there are very few resources in that connection. A lot of resources about how to be a grandmother, but not how to be a grandfather. So, of course, they started a blog. They started a blog because these grandfathers have to To, stay together. To provide that reliable source. Exactly, exactly. Look, people have to make a living. When people say something like that, you know it's not true. This guy, look at the quote story. These things up. Started a podcast. Started the Cool Grandpa podcast. Why? Because in popular culture, culture quote, grandfathers typically are checked out. Checked out. According to the I don't Times, I know what that means. It means grandfathers are often. There are people I'm going reading, around checking out. I'm reading the, the article. Grandfathers. Grand no no no. Ooh, that, there's one. Well, that's probably true. Grandfathers are often excluded from societal narratives about relationships between <laughs> generations, secondary to grandmothers. There's limited research around secondary. grandfathering. Oh my God. And the cultural expectations for how grandfathers should behave are hazy. <laughs> it's hazy. Okay? How do you like that? No. What do you say? You don't agree with this? No. And then they have someone who's researching this saying, there is a new development. I'm seeing that both grandmothers and grandfathers want to be involved. And here, here you'll agree with this. Although, I don't think grandfathers are changing diapers quite as much. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. There may be something to that. But... Uh, uh, what constitutes a cool grandfather? Uh, well, you, you would know better than anybody. I mean, look, the fact is, speaking from experience, obviously you don't need a blog or anything on the web to figure out how to be a grandfather. Uh, arguably, you were around when your children were being raised, and perhaps you even participated in that. I like to think I participated in that. But uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, it's great having grand- grandchildren, and you have more time as you get older if you're retired, right? and I'm in that category to some extent, and uh, it's fantastic. The grandkids uh, are, are it just crazy. It strikes me as such a grandfather thing to do. What? To get on the to web? sit around yeah. and talk about yeah. what it's like to be a grandfather. Well, you know, it probably, yeah. When the NCAA tournament's not on, you got to do this something. This is how I see it. Well, yeah. look, uh, I will say this. They do say <laughs> in the article that grandmothers still take the lead. I think that's true. I think you take the lead. Do, and, do and, we take the lead or are we stuck with the lead? I think both. <laughs> okay. They're not mutually exclusive. I think you embrace that role. You can deny it, but I think you embrace that role. I don't, and I'm not getting in the way of that. Well, but that said, I think I make my points. I get my dibs in. Well, you you, you got to admit yeah. that we've had more training in the skills that are required. I don't have to analyze it to see so what works. I just get, naturally it's, it's clear there are levels through. there are levels of engagement in terms of the the grandchildren there and there's the grandfather engagement no, we're all engaged. which is rewarding. We're all engaged. No, no, I mean grand, the engagement response from the grandchildren. I mean yeah, I mean, the, the grandkids respond to me, and that's great, and we have a good relationship. But if push comes to solve, if there's an emergency, if they really need something, if, if they're uh, you know, emotionally distraught for a few seconds about something, if something spilled, if something goes wrong and they get hurt, they want their grandmother. They don't want their grandfather. And that's just the way it is. But I am not sure we can say that about all grandmothers. I, I, I can't. I'm not saying it about all grandmothers. I'm, I'm speaking from my personal observation 
which I think is valuable to people who can't find us <laughs> on the web. All right? We have our own podcast. On the web. On the web. All Oi. Right. All right. You want to talk about drinking? Well, yeah, last week. Something you know about. Last what, week, what, you yeah. know, was... Um, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. We, our our uh, corned beef got delayed, but I did make a pretty good corned beef. Yes, you did. I, as I said last year on the podcast, I'm into this now, oven roasting the uh, corned beef and mm-hmm. the vegetables. All right. And... Uh, really works quite well, mm-hmm. and to my way of thinking, more tasty. But anyway, other than that, we don't really celebrate so much the holiday, not being terribly Irish. Irish. Right. And uh, But I was interested in, uh, in an article in the New York Times titled, Toast to St. Patrick, Alcohol Optional. So in the fall, we were talking about a lot about... Uh, you know, non-alcoholic, alcoholic drinks. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like beers. Right. And so I was interested that, um, you know, people are, the conversation continues. Because largely when I talk to people about it, they go, I, I say, you know, if, if, whether I go into a uh, store and say, do you have non-alcoholic beer? Yeah. Um, or I'm just talking to some people, they don't seem too interested. Right. Okay. So it's not clear whether it's this huge trend developing or not. But this was a fun article that said, uh, um, mentioned... Abby Amon owns two bars across the street from each other in the East Village, yeah. Lucky and uh, Hecate. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucky is alcoholic, Hecate is non-alcoholic, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, so, um, you know, she was uh, exploring, you know, easily in a bar, you know how what to serve to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And she's found that this year it's easier to, uh, you know, celebrate St. Patrick's Day with non-alcoholic Because it's beverages. more available. Yeah. So um, apparently Guinness Zero came out about a year ago, yeah, but right. not in large enough quantities. To be available right. to bars, uh, and and this year it really is. We've been drinking it, you know, and uh, also uh, there are more and more of the um, spirits that are non-alcoholic. I guess one of the companies is Liars, um, and there's a whiskey by Kentucky Seventy Four, and you know. So that you're able to make mixed drinks, um, such as, you know, and kind of uh, approximate a sort of uh, non-alcoholic Bailey's, Bailey's Irish cream. And, you know, people are actually doing it. What kind of people? I mean, I, I don't really know. They, they quote here the one guy, a bartender in Cleveland, who uh, a couple of years ago ended up in the hospital uh, with acute pancreatitis. He said, after many years of a bottle of bourbon a day habit. Mm. I don't know how you do that for many years if you're 29. But um, anyway, he said, uh, you know, you still want to celebrate. So it's a kind of a relief, you know, to have something to drink when everybody else is drinking. That's not alcoholic. Um, so... That, to me, was kind of interesting and encouraging. And they had, you know, quotes of, you know, pubs and places all over uh, the country that are doing this more and more. And we're, we're, you know, we're seeing more and more of the beers. Yeah. Where to find them is just kind of odd. They're not that hard to find. 
the non alcoholic. We don't find a lot of them. And no. Most, no, but I mean, where? They they could be anywhere. They're in. You find them in the supermarket. In the they? supermarket. Yeah. Oh. Um, they're not. They're not in the liquor stores. Okay. Right? Well, let me ask, ask you this. Here, here's what I think is weird. What? Okay. This guy's got a bar on one side of the street that's serving alcohol. It's a alcohol. woman, actually. Okay. This woman. And, this gal. And this gal. And the other side, not alcohol. But what strikes me about that is odd is if you have a party, a group of people with some are drinking alcoholic, some are drinking non-alcoholic, they can't all go to one place. I don't know how they do that. I, uh, well, I'm, I assume there are alcoholic bars that serve some of the non-alcoholic drinks. No, I know, but how, this woman yeah, has the, her the, business the, that way. That seems odd to me. Well, no, but... She is just underscoring the interest in yeah. totally, you know, non-alcoholic. Her place is not necessarily an example of a place where you know people are mixing together. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, to I just celebrate. find that as a as a commercial. You may not want to be in the atmosphere of an alcoholic bar. Maybe that's part of your deal. I understand. I mean, yeah. It just seems to me it's more natural that you're going to have bars that have the normal drinks and then also have a wide array of non-alcoholic drinks. That makes more sense to me. But um, uh, whatever. That's her real estate decision. Uh, yeah. So, uh, look, the Guinness Zero is not bad. And then they have a picture from the Irish Whiskey Festival where they're, people are downing non-alcoholic uh, cocktails. Huh. So, anyway, so I'm interested in that. Yeah. Um, not, you know, it's not like I'm uh, planning to uh, go sober. No, thank God. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, 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 you know... I don't. I don't necessarily want to drink alcohol at every meal, and I don't, <laughs> obviously. But um, there are times when that flavor profile yeah. is what tastes good. Well, we drink the with your foods, so and we do, and we, we and we drink more Stella, non-alcohol than anything yeah. else. Yeah, which is so lighter. And frankly, I don't drink Stella alcoholic. I only drink it non-alcoholic. Strangely enough. So, but there are enough Me choices too. out there. Um, so that so that story continues. We yeah. haven't opened our non-alcoholic cafe Not yet. yet but We're raising the money. Yeah. Um, then on the other side of that, actually right under that article, was an article about Borgs. Yeah. Do you know what a Borg is? Uh, no. A Borg, B-O-R-G, is a blackout rage gallon. And uh, it's... A drink that is mixed up of basically water, alcohol, some kind of flavorings, and something else. Some hangover remedy. The, either something with caffeine or Pedialyte or something. And these gallons may have like 17 shots of alcohol. Yeah, I, I've heard about and this so kind of pe- stuff. You have not heard. No, no, about not this. not a Borg. I've, I've heard people taking huge containers of alcohol, with a certain amount of two liters, three liters, or something like that, into parties. Yeah, that's well, the thing. So, so they have all these pictures of you know people with right. the giant, like, right. a gallon-sized plastic jug. Like yeah, I don't think that's a new milk thing. in right. or something. And um, for some reason, people think it's a safer way to drink. Then what? <laughs> because. You know what you're drinking. Well, and you, you know, you're not getting any weird things slipped into your drink. I mean, how ridiculous is this? Well, it depends on what you put in your drink. And and the other thing that the other reason they're popular is they have a great appeal because they're easy to drink for something with such a high alcohol. Well, that's the opposite. That's the opposite of safer. All you really taste, one person says, is the water and the food coloring. You don't taste any of the liquor which is the great part. 
So this strikes me as total insanity. Yeah, okay. Okay. One of the reasons I don't drink many cocktails is because I always view cocktails as cheating, as as kind of tricking you into drinking mm-hmm. liquor. If you if you want to drink alcohol, then drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you need uh, to be sweetening it or you know an you know, tricking your taste buds mm-hmm. into drinking alcohol. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know. All right, I don't get it. But, the, but the, anyway, so this, uh, you know, and of course yeah. they have random um, statistics saying, you know, there are um, bigger problems in various parties, uh, various events this year. Now with the trend of Borgs, more people are ending up in the hospital, et yeah. cetera, which um, it sounds indeed possible, but... Um, you know, I. You also, it's one of those things where you get the um, feeling that Times is kind of making up their statistics. Yeah. But anyway, I, no one but the people who are drinking them think it's better for you. They have one um, young person in college saying, "When I compare Borgs to butt chugging," mm-hmm. she said, referring to alcohol enemas, it doesn't seem as bad. I have no comment on that. Okay, so two no opposite ends of the extreme there. But I just, I wanted you to know what a Borg is in case anyone offers you one yeah. when you're out and about. Because I know you're, you know, now that you're teaching yeah. law school, I don't, you're among the young people. Yeah, I, we don't discuss that. The uh, There's an article about uh, Metropolitan Opera. Are you have something else on Borgs? Go ahead. I was just saying, you could, you could bring a non-alcoholic Borg. And since you're the only one drinking it, no one would know. Yeah. So okay. that's, you know, you want to be in with the in crowd, but still safe. Huh. That would be an option. So the Met Opera, you may recall a few months ago, if not a year or so ago, canceled the performances of Anna Netrebko, who is a famous Russian opera performer, quite popular. It's quite a sensation a few years ago, big name in opera. And they canceled her performances because she, she is Russian. And, of course, Russia had invaded the Ukraine. And there was a slew of cancellations of Russian performers at that time, probably still continuing. And, and then, frankly, uh, Netrebko had previously made comments uh, before the invasion of Ukraine that, that were supportive of Putin. And she uh, you know, supports the Russian regime, generally speaking. So they basically said that she would not perform in certain um, operas for which she had been contracted to perform, which, of course, is their prerogative. What I didn't realize at the time was they had a contract to pay her, and they didn't pay her. So the Met, the Met decided said, they, took her out of, they took her out of the operas. Right, and they breached the contract. They said, and we're not going to be paying you because, you know, you're Russian. Which your first reaction is, well, no, you can't be serious, right? And uh, they uh, actually held fast to that position. The Mets got a lot of money. And we're talking about about $400,000 or whatever. They actually took it to court or more to the point to an arbitrator as you do in these circumstances. And the argument that the Met made is you use, there's a clause in almost every performance type contract, professional person type contract, even basketball players, that the uh, contracting party in this case, the Met, or it could be a basketball team, can get out of the contract if the other party, the performer, uh, engages in acts of so-called moral turpitude. That's the phrase that's always quoted. If they do something that's you know so terribly awful, a moral failure that causes them to be a pariah, then you know they're allowed to be canceled. 
Um, it's very rarely invoked, almost never successfully. That's what they argued here, that she was guilty of moral turpitude because Russia invaded the Ukraine, which is hard to imagine that uh, they could have gotten a lawyer who told them that they could possibly succeed with that defense uh, or that it made any sense at all. And uh, thankfully, they went to the arbitrator and he said, uh, no, no way. Don't, you're kidding. And uh, found against the Mets, so they had to pay the contract. The uh, Met. The Met. Not against the Mets. The, the well, Met. The Met. All, I'm going to be my usual cynical self and yeah. say, this is all about publicity. Oh, this is not good publicity. It doesn't, all publicity is good publicity. Oh, Dan. I don't know. Uh, but I cannot, this is like. The, the, well, let me tell you something. Like, this is like. Hitler saying the Jews can't... Well, uh, let's not get Hitler involved. Uh, but, uh, no, but uh, it's crazy. Yeah, but, it's, but, it's, it's super crazy. Yeah. You cannot decide. Yeah. yeah. Those, <laughs> well, but he, he, he... can't make those kind of let, let me tell you. Let me tell you why I don't think that this is uh, about publicity. Because not only did they fire her, but they fired... Uh, they announced on Friday that they're firing her husband, who's a tenor, an opera singer. His name is Yusuf... Uh, Ivasov, and they're firing her for several reasons. One of them is, uh, the main reason, I think, is his association with Ms. Netrepko. And they said that's problematic, and they don't want to re- disrespect the Ukrainian soprano who's in the same opera. So they fired him. But the difference is they're paying him because they, <laughs> they got the message, you can't fire people, not pay them. Look, that uh, PR is everything. Yeah. All right. to, be, to fire somebody because yeah, they're yeah. married to somebody who... Yeah. Oh, well, they are paying. Okay, so there are uh, there are three um, three stories about what have to be obituaries, but they're great stories. Um, one is Dick Fosbury uh, passed away. Dick Fosbury, the famous inventor of the Fosbury flop. Do people still know what the Fosbury flop is, or is that something that came? Yeah, out? I I don't know. Do, do they still do it? Is that the yes. only way to do it? That's that's the yeah. only way to do it. He was a high jumper. And uh, he was a middling high jumper, actually worse than middling uh, high jumper. And and high jumping was done uh, by the so-called straddle technique, where you throw one foot up over and then the other foot up over, and and, then you flipped over. So I had never seen any track of any kind growing up. Yeah. And then I went to middle school, junior high, Mm -hmm. and in uh, gym class, they had us all try to do the high jump. Yeah. And I was amazed yeah. that you could get over something that high just by doing the straddle. The thing. straddle, yeah. Okay. And then when I heard about the Fosbury flop, I said, "Well, wow." Well, the Fosbury flop. So, just to go slow, I mean, does the that make of, sense? Would that? When did the Fosbury flop come? Well, about? let me. I'll tell you, it does make sense. The straddle, which is just you would say that would favor somebody terribly athletic, very long legged, legged with leaping ability. Will Chamberlain was a great high jumper. Using mm-hmm. the strap yeah. when he was in high school. All right. Dick Fosbury was not terribly successful. He was not the size of uh, Will Chamberlain. He, there was nothing physically imposing about him. But he invented a technique where he would hurdle over the bar in roughly a sitting up position, kicking one leg after the other over the bar. Um, it's, it's hard to really describe. The technique has been compared to a corpse being pushed out of a window. I think that's as good as any. So what year did he invent that? He, uh, it was 67, 68. So, and I say it's 68 because he appeared in the Summer Olympics and showed off the Fosbury flop for the first time in that Olympics, and he won. Okay, so I was in... Um, so you would have been 12, 13, 14. In, yeah, before yeah, 68, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he set in a record of seven feet, four and a quarter inches using the flop. 
and uh, it became the standard method of elite high jumping. The current Olympic record is held by someone who, who flopped 7 feet 10 inches in 1996, but again, using the flop. It's mm-hmm. the technique. And it was mind-boggling that someone, uh, as they say in the Times, the Fosbury flop set a standard for the kind of innovation that can transform a human endeavor. In other words, you saw it's, it's like uh, a whole new way of doing a swimming stroke. Is already uh, even described. But it's interesting because it also would change the uh, physical... The profile of the uh, the athlete, the, the athlete who yeah. can do that, right? You know, so it's the strangest story going, and he did something that was completely counterintuitive, but he was entirely successful. It, 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 and it's used in many ways. People talk about the Fosbury flop in a lot of contexts, trying to explain that you got to step out the accepted paradigm and look at something in a completely new way, mm-hmm. and you come up with something that looks weird but is successful. What did he do for the rest of his life? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, He graduated uh, in 1972 with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. He moved to Ohio where he founded an engineering company. He designed and built bike trails and running paths and ultimately became a county commissioner in Blaine County, Idaho. I could go on. Took swing dancing classes. Took swing dancing. And met met his wife there. Uh, It goes on. He's a quiet guy. He's an unassuming guy. All right. Bud Grant, who you told me you didn't uh, you remember, but I know you did. He, he died. He was the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, very stoic coach. Uh, well, I t- might remember. Kind of a tough guy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Quiet. Not a screamer. Uh, famous for like showing up in the coldest weather in Minnesota, which did not have a dome stadium then. Would show up in shirt sleeves. The team would show up in shirt sleeves. They would psych out the other team who was intimidated by the cold weather. They, yeah, uh, when men were men. Uh, yes, that's true. And they were famous for uh, winning the uh, the league championship, the NFC League Championship, four years in a row. Each year they went to the Super Bowl, and each year they lost the Super Bowl. Never won the Super Bowl, lost four times. So it's kind of a mixed success. It's like you're getting to the doorstep four times. But it takes a lot of success to get to the doorstep. Uh, as he said, you know, that... Uh, that didn't bother me uh, as much as I think it would have bothered a lot of other people. And I believe that's right. He's kind of an interesting guy because he played uh, in the NFL for a short time. Then he went to the Canadian Football League where he had even more success. Um, and he became a coach there and uh, won the championship uh, of uh, the CFL for a couple of times. And then he went to the NFL and then he was tremendously successful in the NFL. Um and his, his his players all love them. I mean, uh, Fran Tarkenton, the famous quarterback, you've certainly heard of him, who played under Bud Grant, said, I don't know that Bud could diagram five plays, but goodness does he know people. He excels at managing people and making people decisions. And uh, anyway, here's a good quote from Bud Grant. He said, quote, a good coach needs a patient wife, a loyal dog, and a great quarterback. <laughs> but not necessarily in that order. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I happen to have been blessed with all three. And when I did happen to have any extra time, I didn't spend it with the quarterback. <laughs> so there you go. It was Bud Grant. And, uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say something about Willis Reed. Willis Reed died. Willis Reed, who you do remember. I do. Uh, led uh, the New York Knickerbockers during their glory years. And this is the late 1960s, early 1970s. And um, he was their center. 
and he uh, famously um, took the court after sustaining an injury. They were in, this was the, the key series in the entire history of the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, and they were playing the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, who were a formidable team with uh, Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain. And um, he uh, hurt himself badly in Game 5 at Madison Square Garden in, in when the series was tied 2-2. Two to two. Um, And he had to leave that game, and somehow the Knicks won that game. So they were up 3-2. to two. He didn't play Game 6. He couldn't play. He was too badly hurt. And then uh, he, the question was, is he going to play game seven? Knicks did not have a substitute center. So they're playing against Will Chamberlain without a center. Cham- Chamberlain scored 45 points in game six. They, no one could play him. And uh, Willis, um, it was a mystery whether he was going to play. And he famously sort of limped, sort of stiff-legged out onto the court during the warm-ups. And the, pl- the place went crazy. Um and then he started the game, and he took two shots in the first two minutes, and he put them both in. Long shots. Long shots for him. And they quote Bill Bradley, said, It was the best example of inspiration by an individual in a sporting event I've ever seen. And it seemed that way. I mean, the crowd went crazy. The team went crazy. He left the game after a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Never came back in the game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. But uh, Walt Frazier took over the game, completely outplayed Jerry West, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, Walt Frazier was a great, great player, mm-hmm. but Jerry West is the logo. You mm-hmm. know, his profile <laughs> is the right. symbol yeah. of the NBA. Yeah. He, and, uh, and Bradley's quoted too, saying, that's the greatest performance ever by a guard in the history of the NBA Finals, Walt Frazier. Any event, so that's the legendary Nick Championship, which is a huge accomplishment. And... Uh, the quote from Bradley is, even as the league's MVP, he knew that the individual was never as important as the team and that points were transitory and championships were forever. Now, look, my favorite Wall Street story is still the one that he was the captain of the team, which they took quite seriously. And you have guys of various experience. And again, Wolf Frazier was a great player, but he had gone to a small school and he came from a very small town. And uh, I think I've told this story here that in his rookie year, he came to Willis Reed's room, and Willis Reed taught him how to write a check. Who came to Willis Reed's room? Walt Frazier. Oh, Walt Frazier. Okay. Didn't know how to write a check. Okay. And he was so impressed the way Willis Reed wrote a check and the way he wrote that he spent time copying Willis Reed's penmanship because uh-huh. he thought it was classy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, Willis Reed's a great Nick and, from all I can tell, a really great person. So he passed away. Mm. All right. So uh, that's all we have. It's possible someone's going to wander in the door there, but I, I can't really predict it. Uh, that That's someone being Pepper. So She's we got to watch uh, Princeton this week. Yes. We don't, we're going to watch it. Princeton, that's, that's a big uh, deal. The NCAAs. Yeah. Made it through to 316. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing very well in the pool. Oh, and hey, it is Pepper. Look who's here. It is Pepper. Pepper. Hi, Pepper. Do you want to say anything into the microphone, Pepper? Pepper? Pepper, whose face is covered with something that looks like is it was that chocolate, chocolate pudding. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How did that happen? Who made How... the, Who made the chocolate pudding? Me. Yes, you with. You. No, no, no. Who, Coach who... Dan, didn't Coach Dan help you with the chocolate yeah. pudding? Yeah. yeah. What did you and I make today? We made something. 
Cake. Cake. Carrot oh. cake, right? Yes. With All right. icing and sprinkles. Okay, so what else are we going to do today? We're going to play with you. We're going to play, 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 right? Okay. All right. Well, on well, that we, note, we better get busy with the yes. play, play, playing. All right. And it's, so until next week, by that point, the Princeton should be in the final four. Right. We can look forward to that. Yeah. And yeah. So until then, this is Dan Appuhoff. And Tamson Granger and... And Pepper. And, and Pepper. Pepper. Tamson and Dan read the paper. <laughs>